Hello and welcome to Legal Tech Arcade with me, Rob McAdam, an independent podcast about tech-driven legal service delivery and the people and products that make it all happen. Okay, so let's get going. So welcome to the very first episode of the Legal Tech Arcade podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Stuart Barr, a good friend of mine, a former colleague uh, who is Chief Product and Strategy Officer at HiQ, which was obviously bought by Thomson Reuters last year. But before that, Stuart spent 11 years building the platform, building the product at HiQ before the sale to Thomson Reuters. Welcome, Stu. It's good to have you on. Good to good to talk to you again. Hey, Rob. Delighted to be here, and uh, congratulations on the uh, start of your new podcast. Thank you. How, how does it feel to be uh, a guest on the first ever episode of Legal Tech Arcade? <laughs> feels feels good. You know, let, let's see how we get to by the by the end. But no, so far so good, mate. You're doing a great job of, of your introduction. I was thinking. Uh, I was trying to think of icebreakers for guests, uh, and I, I was trying to think of could I play on the arcade theme and ask people. Kind of were they into arcade games? What their favourite arcade game or video game was? You, is that something you were kind of into, or are you still into oh, it? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Historically, absolutely. These days, I still still do play games. You know, I'm I'm quite a big Fortnite player, for example, with my kids. But historically speaking, if I look back, I'm a big fan of all the the Mario Kart games. You know, uh, yeah, right yeah. back to the the SNES, um, and then you know Super Mario sixty four. Golden Eye. I mean, yeah, you've got to talk yeah. about Golden Eye. Everyone loves that. Everyone um, loves but, that. you know, I, I, I wasted many an hour when I should have been working at university playing Golden Eye and Super Mario 64 to the extent that me and my uh, housemates at the time used to have uh, contests and, and we used to play a few rounds of Super Mario to, to decide who would go down to the local baguette shop and buy lunch for everyone. So, yeah. So, let's put Super Mario 64 up there. Uh, yeah. When I was at university, it was Grand Theft Auto Vice City. And I think my experience of university or the first year is just coloured by 80s soundtrack and, you know, driving around causing havoc. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, at least you're doing Grand Theft Auto virtually and not, not on uh, yeah, the Yeah, in real life, yeah. No, <laughs> I, was, I was a good boy. Um, anyway, so yeah, thank you for joining me today, Stu. Um, I thought we could just kind of start by perhaps you could just explaining uh, kind of your your current role or you know, your journey perhaps to to where you got to with Haiku. I know you you started off. I think it was with Freshfields. Um, I think it's quite an interesting journey over the last you know few years. So are you able to kind of just summarise yeah. that, that journey? Yeah, sure. No, it, it's um, it definitely wasn't planned. I think is the first thing to say. Um, you know. I've ended up doing what I'm doing through a series of happy coincidences and, and you know, uh, and, you know, certainly no kind of grand master plan. But I mean, I, um, I did a business degree, so I didn't I didn't do a technology degree. I just did a kind of fairly general business degree, mainly because I probably didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't you know, I didn't do a vocational um, uh, you know, degree. Yeah. So, uh, you know, after university, I, I started working for a few sort of companies, but I think the path that I'm on now, yes, you're right, probably started when I um, when I joined Freshfields, which was in 2004, yeah. uh, and that is when I actually first met um, the HiQ team. You know, the original two founders of HiQ, AJ Patel and Vinay Shah, because at the time 
um, the, the law firms, the Magic Circle firms, uh, were building a new portal called the BLT portal, which yeah. some yeah. of the listeners may remember. I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Um, and uh, you know that was basically at the behest of the large banks um, who asked the law firms to put all their content, you know, their knowledge in, into a single portal so they could go and access it from that one place. So pretty much the first job I got given when I was, when I joined Freshfields in the in the sort of knowledge systems team was to deliver this portal. And the company that had been selected to deliver the portal was HiQ. Yeah. Um, and really, that was first of all the you know the the direction that my career went in from that point. Obviously, down the road that I have been on now, but also actually was a huge turning point, huge catalyst for HiQ itself, the company. Um, you know, it got HiQ connected into you know the major magic circle firms here in London and some of the major financial institutions. So it's really the beginning of, of what we can call HiQ today. Mm. Um, and from my perspective, obviously, I got to know AJ Vine, the founders, um, you know, obviously originally as a client. Um, and we worked on that project, implemented it. Um, it's still technically there, a BLT portal. It's still kind of running, but, you know, it is not really a major used product anymore. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's how I got to know them. And then Freshfields became the first firm to really implement um, the first what you would call the kind of the first modern version of what Haiku is today so their extranet platform which was at the time a kind of in-house built um, but several you know quite, quite uh, old at that by that point even um, in-house system and so they they outsourced it to Haiku I then worked with you know the Haiku team for you know many months six to eight months and effectively rebuilding, redesigning the, the, the product. So I worked very closely with AJ and was almost like the chief product officer before I even joined the company as, as yeah. their client. And Freshfields became the first firm to implement HiQ. Um, uh, of course, and still one of, the, one of the biggest and most strategic clients of HiQ today. I then left Freshfields and joined um, uh, another small company called Headshift. And actually that was really important also in how I got to where I am today. Because that um, was completely different. Obviously, it wasn't a law firm; it was a small sort of technology consulting firm. Um, at the time, this was in about 2007. It was very much about you know uh, sort of Web 2.0 and Enterprise 2.0, so social collaboration and, and changing the way people work and all those kinds of concepts. And I did a lot of you know implementations of products like Atlassian Confluence and you know blogging platforms like you know WordPress yeah. and uh, other things. And we often used to, you know, consult around how to implement them and affect the change that people were looking for in working practices or the way they were engaging with their customers or clients. So that was also really interesting learning for me. And I learned a lot there at Headshift about communication skills and presentation skills as well. Um, but I stayed in touch with AJ from HiQ. Um, and, uh, you know, we stayed in touch. Um, and then in 2009... Um, I, I sort of approached AJ and, and the company had grown a bit by then and they onboarded you know, several other Magic Circle firms and, and uh, that's when we agreed that it would be a good time for me to join HiQ. Mm. And at that point, I sort of you know, took over the, if you like, the, the product side of the business, um, you know, started working. I mean, there, there was hardly anyone in the company back then. I mean, HiQ was tiny. There was only about 15 employees. You know, we only probably had about 10 customers or something. So wow. we were a tiny, tiny company. Yeah. Um, and I was the fifth employee in, in London, and all, the only other people were, uh, you know, our development, our very small development team in India. Um, and yeah, and, and I set about redesigning the application, introducing all the collaboration tools that we have today. And in the summer of 2010, so sort of you know eight months or so after I joined, 
we launched a major new version of you know, what we called at the time SitePoint 2.0. And that's when we introduced a lot of the concepts which are still there today. So, you know, files and, and iSheets existed when I joined, but then, you know, we introduced the wikis, blogs, tasks, events, um, all the activity streams, profiles, all that sort of stuff. It was the game and changer. Then, it was the game changer. Yeah, well, it, yeah. it just expanded. It kind of expanded the, the scope of what the platform could do. It was no longer just about file sharing and, and kind of extranets and data rooms. It became a collaboration yeah. platform. I think, I think that's the key difference. And from then on, obviously, you know, I, I, I had various job titles over the years at HiQ from Chief Operating Officer, Chief Strategy Officer, Chief Product Officer. But, you know, uh, really, I, I've always been responsible for, for the product and, and developing the product, the strategy around the product. Um, and then many other kind of go-to-market functions from marketing to solutions consulting, client success, um, and, you know, all other areas of the business, really, with the exception probably of HR and finance are probably the only two areas I, I never got involved with much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been an incredible journey. And obviously, over the last 11 years, Haiku scaled, you know, from that small company up to, you know, uh, a, a small to medium-sized company, I guess, with 500 customers globally mm. and, you know, in most of the, the 100 top law firms here in the UK and, uh, you know, a, yeah. a large global footprint until the point that we got acquired last year by Thomson Reuters. So it has been quite the journey, I have Interesting to say. journey, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, incredible. And obviously, being part of a business like that that scales from, you know, five people uh, to sort of three or 400 people and then gets acquired. And, and of course, we went through an investment round as well in 2015. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, lots and lots of learning and really really amazing journey to be you know part of a company that goes through through such a high period of growth and all the the growing pains that you you get with that yeah exactly i think it's just one of those massive legal tech success stories uh when you look back at it and and the journey that that haiku has been on um and i think what's interesting about haiku and your background as well i guess it's kind of similar to mine with kind of coming in i know you did that kind of headspace uh, period but essentially you know you were a client at haiku and and joined haiku and i think not just for Haiku, but for many vendors, actually, that's the secret of success sometimes is to, you know, if you're doing something right and you've got fans amongst your client base, then bringing those fans on board, it means you've got a workforce that is incredibly passionate about the product uh, and incredibly passionate about the clients as well. I think that is certainly what st- like stands Haiku in good stead, but other vendors that do take that approach as well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you know, because you follow the same path and, and so did several people, um, you know, uh, what you would call long term high cures kind of came from, you know, from the legal industry, from our, from some of our clients. Um, and it, it does make a huge difference because you have that domain knowledge and that domain expertise. You can you can then talk the same language as your customers. You understand the challenges that they have. Um, and then hopefully you can take all of that knowledge and understanding and build a great product that solves the, the, the problems that you know mm. that they, they need to be solved. So yes, I, I definitely think that's been one of the secrets to our success. It's it's taking people from the industry that we are very focused on on serving. So you know it would have been quite easy for us to get a bit distracted and have branched out um, into other industry sectors and so on. And we were actually quite restrained about that. And we, we remained very focused on legal, which yeah. I think was definitely one of the, the, the secrets to our success. That's an interesting point, actually, because I always wonder whether, you know, or I could have questioned, what, what is legal tech? So when I was putting the podcast together, you know, I was thinking, what do I call it? And I went, I went with legal tech. I know there's a lot of kickback against that term, really, to say, actually, you know, a lot of it is just, it is just tech, it's technology. You know, you can't give it the legal badge necessarily. 
I think there are some clear examples maybe around litigation uh, and discovery things that might be kind of legal tech. I, I do think a lot of the other platforms, though, could have broad applicability across multiple different industries, actually. And I, I know HiQ has very specific kind of functionality geared towards lawyers, but do you see it as legal tech? Is legal tech a thing? What, you know, what's your perspective on what that well, term means? Yeah, it's a good, good question. I mean, for sure, I don't see HiQ as limited to being legal tech. Definitely not. Um, and in fact, it's been a very conscious decision over the years that I've always taken to build it as generically as possible. And you know, anyone can use HiQ. Any, anyone can take advantage of it. Um, like I said, it, it is just essentially it's a collaboration platform, and it's evolved into kind of a, a workflow automation platform. But uh, you know, we, we do have many examples of you know, non-legal firms over the years, often through kind of referrals. So you'll get a, you know, a, a client of one of, of one of our law firm customers who uses IQ, obviously through, you know, legal transaction or some kind of matter. And then they, they like it and they sort of say, hey, where, well, what is that technology? Can we use it? And we've had many examples of that from kind of retail to government to financial services and others. So there's tons of examples of, you know, organizations that are not legal in nature. Um, legal services-based organizations that, that use HiQ. Um, as for the broader question, I mean, I think it, it sort of depends. Like you said, there are obviously some very specific things that, you know, that are required in legal services like, like litigation or e-discovery and stuff like that. But yeah, m most of it, I mean, you know, people use the term legal project management. I was just discussing this with Tom McDonnell on, on, on uh, the Haiku product management team. And, you know, it's, a, it's not legal project management. It's just project management. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's just applying the project management principles that every other industry in the world uses, whether it's agile or, you know, more waterfall style or whatever, you know, project plans and Gantt charts and, you know, all these things. It's just applying those same principles, working methods and, and other things to, to, to legal work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we have a bit of a, I think this industry has a little bit of a tendency to, you know, um, put legal in front of every other, you know, word to, to specify that it's something special. But in reality, I think it's mostly generic. Yeah. Um, and you can use technology from from lots of other industries. Um, uh, maybe a little a little bit of tailoring and, and so on is required, but 90% the same. Yeah, I agree. I think we've got a problem if people are only going to use a platform if it's got legal in front of it. Um, yeah, it's just strange, isn't it? But uh, no, completely agree. But I think another another terminology, some other terminology that I, get, I guess gets passed around a little bit and is used quite a lot is this kind of concept of a platform. I think you know whenever you use a lot of the legal tech tools at the moment, whether it's kind of decision automation or AI, they're all describing themselves as a platform. And I know we have we've had many conversations in the past about platforms and toolkits. Um, but what's your what's your perspective on what what can be categorized as a platform. What is what constitutes a platform in the kind of technology space? Is is HiQ a platform? Are some of these other tools not platforms? Where do you stand on it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a right or a wrong, and I think you know it depends who you speak to. But I mean, I definitely consider HiQ a platform. Um, and uh, you know, in my mind, a platform is something that that delivers more than one thing. Let's let's uh, you know to really you know oversimplify it probably, but. It is not a point solution, I think, is, is kind yeah. of the, the way to, it's almost to define it by what it is not. So it, it is not a single thing that, that serves a single purpose. It is a, a you know, a, a multifaceted solution um, that is either in a technical sense, you can have technical platforms, which 
are literally, you know, perhaps don't even have a, you wouldn't even consider them a product or a solution until you've built something on top of them. You know, some take something like, uh, you know, uh, Azure or AWS yeah, or, yeah. you know, they are platforms, but they are technical platforms. I, I think um, what when we refer to HiQ as a platform, we don't really mean it in that sense, although it is a technical platform in some senses as well, because we, we are, it is open and we do have APIs and we do have people that integrate um, and do very clever things on top of HiQ by customizing it at a technical level. But what we really mean when we talk about HiQ as a platform is the fact that it's, it's a, a, a toolkit for building solutions that you can design yourself. So it's configurable, um, it's flexible, um, it's also non-technical, so it's kind of like a no-code platform, mm. right? Um, but it is still a platform in the, in the sense that you can build multiple solutions on it that solve multiple problems in one integrated way to, to, to give the end user a completely seamless experience. Yeah. So I think, I think there are lots of ways you can describe platforms, but to me, it's kind of that concept of something that allows you to build solutions that solve multiple problems. Right. To me, that's the sort of how I think of platforms. Yeah, like that con- configurable piece. And, you know, I think that's, I think it's no secret that I'm obviously a big fan of Haiku, you know, hence, hence me joining the company a, you know, a few years back. But um, for me, that was what was so attractive to, I guess, not just Haiku, but any platform. You know, I'm, I've recently got into um, a tool called Notion, actually. Um, which is kind of a, a, another collaborative platform, not necessarily aimed at, at legal, but I just love anything that you can get your hands on and you can customize and you can tailor for particular needs. And that was certainly what I think I was drawn to when, in using HiQ originally and, 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 you know, and these other tools. Um, but I, you still see that tension though between this, this platform and point solution approach. You, know, you get some organizations or firms that are, go out and take a point solution procurement approach and will try and stitch together lots of different perhaps best in class tools and then you've got others that, that pursue this platform play where they they kind of fully admit hey we're gonna to have to build some of this stuff and configure some of this stuff but the end result is going to be better but i mean what, when you look at it what if someone's saying look i'm looking to to buy this point solution and you're trying to kind of say no go down the platform route what do you see as the benefits of going down a platform yeah. route i mean i think you've hit it upon a couple of them there but that is the that is the tension so i think it really is that the difference being point solutions are exactly that. You, you need multiple of them, um, which are built by different vendors, have different user interfaces, you know, different experiences, different administration on, on the back end. You know, obviously, you have to procure them differently and mm. separately as well. So that is the key difference, is that they are literally separate applications built by separate people to solve separate problems. So it's that lack of integration and that lack of consistent experience and you know it, it does it, it can be very jarring right for, for users yeah. to have to continually kind of context switch and there's a there's a cost to that every time you switch from one task to another um, there's a cost associated with that in, in your productivity and efficiency mm-hmm. so i think the, the big advantage of, of platforms in the way that i described them a minute ago is that you get that integrated experience and you get a single kind of toolkit if you like that has a you know a, it's all you know all the technical work in integrating it's done right so there's no worries yeah. about oh you know single sign-ons or, or logins or user interfaces or back-end administration and user permissions and all those things all that work is done for you right because someone's built this platform that all those things are taken care of mm. so then it just becomes as you said about well how do you want to use it what what problems do you want to solve and you know one thing we've we've kind of recognised over the years with the HiQ platform is 
it is both the strength and a weakness that it is so configurable and can do so many things. Yeah, yeah. It's a strength because people like you love it, right? Because you, you take the toolkit and you build on it, in a, again, in a non-technical way, but you are more than prepared to roll your sleeves up and, and you know configure it Get and do cool in, yeah. stuff with it. But not everyone is, right? Not everyone is prepared to do that. So what we've started doing more recently is sort of building you know, pre-configured solutions that sit on top of the platform where we've done that configuration work for you as well. And then you almost get the best of both worlds. Then you've almost got a series of like point solutions, but built on a common platform. Yeah. And so with our sort of the solutions templating that we introduced last year, that it kind of gives you that, which which is, you know, you can, you can productize, if you like, a, a set of the capabilities um, and deploy them very quickly with little to no configuration uh, required, yeah. but they're still on top of this platform with the integrated experience and so on. So you can deliver a due diligence solution and a contract management solution and a legal project management solution and a you know document management solution all on the same platform, uh, and that's the power. Is that that integration, that common experience? That the, the you know you, there's no need to context switch or lose productivity, mm-hmm. um, and it's of course it's highly efficient from a cost perspective as well because. You, you know, you're investing in a single piece of technology, effectively. Um, and so if you can, I believe, if you can consolidate around, I don't think you can consolidate around literally one single platform, no, obviously, to impossible. meet every need that your firm has. But if you can consolidate, consolidate around a handful, then I think it, it just has a huge, huge um, productivity gain and efficiency saving um, yeah. Uh, rather than dealing and trying to knit together a whole load of point solutions. I completely agree. I think it's, you know, it's all about identifying and building your stack um you know and i guess something like high would be part of it you know document automation you know things like contract express but if you've got that powerful stack and you know how to use it you're familiar with it then you can be you can still be quite agile you don't have to use just that one one platform but the interesting you talk about templating there because again i see the value in it and, and, it, and it's huge and thinking back to to when i was at high and the amount of times clients would would ask you know, have you got this as a template? Could you deploy what you've just shown me to my instance of high queue? I can see the the benefit of it, but as you say, it's essentially productizing solutions. Now, does that does that cause issues? Are you essentially? I know they're called templates, but actually, are you creating essentially mini products within the platform? And then, I guess they need to be maintained. Someone needs to manage those. And so, does that lead to a kind of a product management type approach for the templating? Is it the yeah. role of the vendor, or should should others be doing it? Yeah, good question. And, you know, I actually think this is sort of where we're at right now, trying to figure some of these things out. So um, we have a, a traditional kind of product management team at, at HiQ, which is, um, you yeah, know, they are responsible for building the, the, the platform, right? And, and by that, I mean the underlying capabilities for task management, document sharing, you know, um, the RI sheets for kind of smart forms and sheets and AI mm. and workflow and all those things. Um, but they're not, you know, they build them in a way that are extremely flexible and, and, you know, configurable to solve all these problems. But what they're not doing is building, you know, the solutions templates that then sit upon those underlying capabilities. So, yes, the short answer to your question is I think there are almost like two layers of product management that are required. One is the, the, the underlying platform and capabilities. Um, and, of course, when, when you're building those underlying capabilities, you're still building to to use cases and solutions. So you still think, you, you still have to go and understand the customer's problems and listen to customer feedback, which we yeah. do all the time, and add the new features that you know can be utilized to, to solve their problems in, in various different implementations and solutions. 
but they're not there. We have a separate layer, effectively, that on top of that, that are kind of like our solutions team. And they are designing sort of solutions templates and productizing certain things and or standardizing certain configurations um, so that, you know, A, when we, when we have a new customer, we can onboard them quickly and you can kind of roll out some templates which, you know, allow them to start very quickly. And B, you know, helps existing customers to to adopt more use cases on the platform with minimal effort from from their perspective. Mm. So yeah, I think you do need those kind of two layers when you're talking about a, a multifaceted platform with a set of un- configurable underlying capabilities, which you then solutionize and productize on top. You've kind of got those two layers that, in order to deliver the overall product totally. and the solutions. Yeah, and, and yeah, one thing I'm trying to, I'm anxious to do with this podcast as well. I, I guess we're going to get a lot of people listening who might be um, in practice, whether whether it's as a lawyer or, or they, they're in other roles within a law firm, other valuable roles within a law firm, or they are law students or, you know, or even non, you know, non-law students, it doesn't matter. But a lot of people who are interested in getting into legal tech, I actually think this this is a really interesting area around this whole templating thing, not just in Haikyuu, but other platforms, because it is a new role. It's kind of sitting at the intersection of solution consulting client success product management uh, and it does require uh, particularly on, on specialist solutions maybe kind of you know, think about corporate banking um a, a real estate space experts people that are familiar with that area to, to to build these solutions i think it's a really interesting area for for people to look actually to move into yeah definitely i mean it's but as you know rob they are unicorns um the, the people that can marry the technology with the you know the, the business problems and the processes there 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 aren't that many of those people around right now so you know kind of everyone wants them you know the, the vendors want them the law firms want them mm-hmm. uh, you know and so we need to grow more of those people we definitely do in the industry and you know anyone that's interested that's interested in kind of getting into that anyone that's listening um, I would suggest it's it's a potentially really really great and, and fascinating career path because if you come from a kind of legal background, you know, maybe you, you were or are a lawyer um, and you, you are reasonably good with technology, it can be really exciting to to take all the problems that you know exist because you suffered from them yourself probably when you're practicing yeah, or yeah. when you, you know, right now as you're practicing um, and you know they're there but no one's solving them for you. Um, but if you're great with technology um, and that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean you have to be technical, it just means that you have to be able to kind of, you know, willing to put in the, the hours to, to muck around and experiment with bits of kit and, and play around and configure them and do things with them and just, you know, um, you know treat them like, like you would if you get a new iPhone, right? We go mm-hmm. through and you try out all the settings and you do all things with it. Um, then, then if you have that kind of ability, uh, then you can, you can really uh, do some great things and, and solve problems that, you know, someone uh, who is not a lawyer or who doesn't come from that background would really struggle to to solve because they just don't have that depth of knowledge around the, you know, the actual business problem. So that kind of hybrid between technology and legal expertise and process expertise, you know, as we have talked about many times and, you know, uh, you know, back in 2015, you know, I think I wrote a blog post about the rise of the legal engineer. Yeah, I remember that. Which is, uh, you know, uh, I think still true today. And, and those actually there just aren't very many of those people still today um, no, but, but you, those skills but you've now got i think this is where these these legal engineering businesses and consultancies you know the likes of of psych uh you know and and, and previously you know well, still is wavelength 
um, you know, spotting that opportunity uh, even before the whole templating uh, imperative. They they knew that law firms needed assistance with technology, with process, with marrying that together to help them actually deliver valuable solutions for their clients to actually help them make progress. And I think that's where where we've seen that grow from is that that need for that legal engineer means we've got these these companies now, which is fantastic. Um, because I know you know I know it's a I know it was a problem. You know, even you know, when I was at HiQ, I guess it is a problem with the platform you alluded to it earlier, which is how do you ensure clients see value from a platform, uh, especially when they may have bought it initially for a specific use case and then it's sitting on the shelf? Like, how do you make sure they kind of constantly using it, yeah. realizing the value? Well, this is this is one I think one you know perhaps Haiku's biggest conundrum, actually, um, is, is how do you ensure that clients maximize their, their investment and the, and the value that they extract from the platform? And, you know, one of the approaches that we had to that, as you know, was to set up what we call a client success team. And they were effectively, you know, experts, um, kind of like those, those, those legal engineers that we talked about. Often they came from a legal background or maybe technology or perhaps BA background, you know, uh, or something like that. But they were people that could kind of be presented with problems and then engineer a solution. Um, and you know, the idea of our client success team was to effectively send them into customers and have them to have a consultative approach where they engage and understand the, the customer's problems and then help them to design solutions and, and educate them perhaps in even what's possible with, with HiQ. So they're not there to drive revenue directly as such um, you know they're not targeted that they have to create so much revenue from that, those engagements but that is the natural outcome because what you mm. drive is you drive adoption and you drive stickiness and you drive uptake of new solutions so that was one way that we approached it i think the issue that you have on the vendor side is there's only so much of that you can do before you you know you're effectively almost running you know running their firm for them yeah, or telling like them how services essentially yeah. it, it, it was even beyond that where you're kind of like well look we can tell you all the things that our platform can do and we can show you examples of, of it but you know you, we, we can't go in there and engage with your lawyers and, and the rest of your business in the same way that you can and it's not our place to do that um, unless we're invited in of course so what you actually need uh, and is the perfect setup and we've seen this many times is You've got to have almost a, an equivalent type person who is in-house inside the customer. Um, so whether you call them a product manager, because you know that is a, actually quite a popular job title these days inside law firms even, having product managers who are, they're not building product like our product managers, but they are there owning product inside yeah. the firm. They're using that and, stack. They're using the stack yeah. to build solutions, to build what, what they would call products. Yeah, and, and importantly, ensuring that you, you know, you're maximizing the use of those products, um, you know, that you're trying to squeeze everything out of them, all the value out of them that, that, that you can, and, and you're engaging with your, you know, your lawyers and the rest of your business to understand what their problems are and then matching the solutions that you have in your kind of technology toolkit to those problems. So when you marry one of those people on the inside, you know, a product manager or a legal engineer on the inside, with a you know client success consultant um, on the you know vendor side, that's super powerful, and that is where we've seen um, I think the most success amongst our client base with those clients that have uh, you know adopted Haiku most fully and most deeply and almost literally. I don't, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that in some firms we have literally transformed the way that they deliver their legal services. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's because they've had those people on the inside who really get it and can drive that change and can grab the technology and you know with their inside knowledge of how that firm works and what their real nitty-gritty problems are can solve those problems um, and then if you give them the support and you give them access to the product experts and people you know on the vendor side it's an incredibly powerful solution and that's where we've seen the most uptake i think the opposite an opposite scenario is when you tend where you, where you don't get that kind of person on the inside and maybe you get someone who is really just more of an administrator yeah, and yeah. thinking far less strategically about it and they're just kind of going through the motions of like adding users and creating sites you get stuck in a rut and very difficult to kind of break out of that and you, you, you yeah and so that's something we've struggled with over the years yeah or even you know those administrator type roles even kind of holding it back internally you know through through fear of it almost getting a little bit out of control I know it's yes. stupid but that does yeah. that does happen if someone's but not I'll, confident with it they will sit, sit on it i have all i mean i have literally had customers say to us we, we got to be careful because this is getting too successful and it's like yeah. wait what what did you say it's getting too successful that's crazy i mean and what they mean is and i obviously i understand slightly what they mean is that you know because because it would get used more, it would cost them more, right? Because they'd have more users or they'd have more data or they'd want more features or whatever. Mm. So I get that. But I think what's what's really missing is a connection between what the cost is uh, and what the ROI is, right? Mm. And so what are the benefits you're getting? Because, you know, we, we've had, you know, without obviously mentioning any, any names, but we've had customers who I know uh, win massive new mandates yeah. based on their use of high Q who will, you know, really, really resist any kind of, you know, increase in, in the fees that we charge when they're probably making far more money through their use of IQ and winning business and taking on work and, and doing deals that they probably otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Um, and charging you know, their clients. Yeah, 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 they're, yeah. they're actually making revenue from from IQ. Absolutely, absolutely. And there is a weird disconnect, I think, between you know what the software costs and the value that it delivers, and hardly any customers, you know, do that analysis deeply. Um, although I say that, I did have one really interesting conversation with a client the other day, um, where they were talking about almost exactly that, where they they really had hard metrics around some of these things, and they talked about how they'd um, you know managed to massively increase the, the efficiency of a real estate due diligence project, and that they kind of got the lawyer productivity from being able to review one lease per hour up to four leases per hour on high queue. So that's, you know, huge efficiency saving. And, you know, reducing the hours spent on all sorts of other tasks and, and improving the accuracy and, and therefore mm. reducing the risk and all sorts of, they had some really great metrics, but that is, I think, all too often missing from the equation. It's quite rare. Yeah, I, I, it's a really interesting one. Benchmarking and carrying out benchmarking is is actually a very interesting topic in law firms, I think, because even putting benchmarking for the purposes of looking at technology to one side for a moment, I mean, how many firms even benchmark to then influence what they, they charge for for certain matters next time round? You know, so how many of them even look at what happened last time and how can we take that learning and actually price for this matter going forward? You know, they don't even benchmark necessarily for that. So, so benchmarking to determine the impact and ROI on technology is actually quite some, something that's quite rare but I think if you can do it, it helps in many, many different ways, not least you know, evidencing the value of a tool that you've brought in. If you're able to say, we were doing deals, we were doing real estate transactions or litigation this way before we had this piece of technology, and this is the resource we used, this is the time it took, this is how much it cost, 
But for the last few deals we've done or the transactions or litigations we've done using this technology, we have saved X amount on, on, you know, on that benchmarking, on that, on that previous um, status. I think it's really rare, but it must, it must therefore be hard for you as a vendor when you're talking to prospective clients who say, well, tell me about the ROI. What is it, what is it going to do for me? Yeah. And, and it's a platform. It must make it hard for you to actually communicate that. Well, it is very hard because it's it's you know it's unique to every firm probably right because you know there, there are generic things you can say like oh it will make you more efficient or it will save you time or mm. things like that but to put metrics around it is, is hard um, but definitely something I'd encourage um, all firms to do but on your point about use of data I mean I, I think that's going to be probably the next big revolution in in legal and it obviously it's sort of happening you hear more and more people now talking about the fact that they are trying to kind of mine more data, uh, collate and aggregate more data into central places so that they can start using it and analyzing how they've done, you know, how, they, how they've undertaken matters yeah. previously. And uh, so, you know, that is obviously starting to happen. And, and Thomson Reuters obviously have been interested in that, you know, when with Panoramic, for example, there was an element of, of exactly that, like planning and pricing and matter mm -hmm executing it and then having the feedback loop to, to learn. Um, and, and that is something we are now pursuing uh, with HiQ as well to try and bring that feedback loop in so that you know when you execute a matter in HiQ uh, and you may have planned it or priced it um, up you know, using the panoramic tools initially, mm -hmm. but then executing it in HiQ and then creating that feedback loop to learn from it so that next time you plan and price it, you've got that data point to say, well, we did this last time and it actually took 20% more than we thought. So we have to take that into consideration. T totally, um, I totally agree. And I think it's that, that's a really fascinating topic at the moment is you know, there's been a lot of excitement over the last few years around, dare I say, AI, you know, in, intelligence. Um, but it's been focused on that kind of contract analysis piece. Uh, and, you know, I know, and I know, you know, I saw, saw what was announced you know, yesterday around what Haiku is doing in the AI space, which I think is great because it's moving away from that and, and providing more value. But I think definitely there's an opportunity to to use intelligence to provide better value for users of software and clients. So it, it's not enough just to say, hey, I, I looked at some documents and there's some clauses in here and here are the clauses. You know, what you want is to know that, hang on, we've done a load of deals, transactions, matters in the past, that data is sitting there pack full of intelligence, pack full of insight. What you want is that to be contextualized. Um, you know, you want that, as you say, that learning from the matters you're doing and then the intelligent delivery up of insight, analysis, knowledge, content at the point at which you need it. Now that might be in the way your pricing matters, in the way you're carrying out matters, in the way you're drafting documents. But I think you're right, which is this is a really interesting direction, is now tapping into that intelligence, that knowledge in context and just think about that for a second where you're drafting a document it says looks like you're drafting this clause here's the last 10 documents that we, we you know we, we drafted here are the changes we made here's some suggestions for what you might want to change or even drafting a due diligence report uh, you know, the information the data is there it's tapping into it and, and contextualizing it so you know completely agree that's where things are going should we should we bring back microsoft's clippy yeah, uh, it let's looks do like that. you're writing a letter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, actually, it's been, you know, a glint in my eye for a number of years now. And, and we are sort of working towards it, but it, it, it's it's a long term kind of goal and it's difficult to achieve, which is if you, if you can, it's one of the advantages, I think, of, of using a platform, because if you can get 
kind of all everything happening in one place or, or two or three places. So imagine if you were running all your matters in Haiku, for example, not not just the ones that you decided because they were for a big strategic client that you wanted to create a secure workspace and you know throw project managers yeah. at it and, and blah 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 and be transparent and show them nice pretty dashboards. But imagine you did that for all your matters, every single one, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how global or how local. But you did that for everything, and you were working in a single place, collecting all this data constantly about exactly what tasks were being done by who, how long they took, you know, when when they happened, you know, what you didn't do or what order or sequence you did them in and all these things, right? Um, imagine all that data was being collected and then you could start making use of that data um, from, from that single platform source or perhaps a two or three different platforms. Mm -hmm. And then you could start making predictions and spot the trends and, and, you know, and as you said, it might be used for pricing, but it might just be used for just intelligent recommendations so that, oh, you know, when, you, when a, a task is assigned to you that says, um, you know, you draft this SPA agreement, well, actually, it shows you the last five SPA agreements that have been drafted exactly. and, and, and negotiated and signed off uh, over the last three months, right, by the, the highest flying lawyers in your firm for the biggest deals kind of thing. And you can start using them as like dynamic, you know, of standard forms. Um, and, and then maybe it brings in, you know, guidance from the likes of, you know, say, practical law or, or whatever. Um, I, I think that's the, like the holy grail where you've got this system which has got intelligence everywhere mm. throughout throughout the platform. And it's not just in, in the document analysis, but it's in the, the content that it recommends to you, the people that it recommends to you, um, the tasks that it recommends to you or... The, the past uh, things that have been created, which haven't been formally captured as knowledge, but because they're in the system, they are, they are uh, you know, as a byproduct captured as knowledge. And years and years ago, you know, when I first started, you know, thinking about this, I used to talk about this concept of, you know, um, capturing and storing knowledge in, in the same place that you do your work, you know, so that you're, you're just using a system to be productive. And you're just working in that system to get your stuff done. But as a byproduct, all the knowledge and everything that you're doing is being captured um, in that same system and is discoverable by other people and is available to run AI against or, or trend analysis and other things. For me, that's the holy grail. But it requires a massive, massive change in the way that people work. Because right now, everyone's used to drafting Word documents in relative exactly, isolation. Yeah sharing them via email and it's just like you're never going to get those benefits yeah. of like big data aggregated across the firm if everyone continues to work in that siloed mm. uh, black hole i often refer to email as the black hole oh, of knowledge yeah. and that's why i, I think there's a really i mean we, I, i've looked at some interesting products you know i think we, we, you and i looked at i think it was smash docs I, I, which i like the concept of like treating you know documents differently and almost treating the kind of yeah, as data, objects. yeah like objects yeah, yeah. and and yeah, there's another one we've looked at recently, Contract Probe, which is again, you know, really interesting in terms of delivering up red lines and markups intelligently. So it it is out there, and I think it's just a case of you know, bringing that together. And I think you know we're really on a path now that I I, I would hope this is a a situation the, the the one we're talking about is reality in in the not too distant future. But yeah. um, just a couple couple more areas I just want to touch on you know, before we, we wrap up. But um, I'm just interested. From a from a platform perspective and product management, I guess when you are a point solution, like say like transaction management or contract automation or something like that, product managers have a fairly good, you know, clear focus, and it's it's almost on the the solution as a whole. Um, you know, they're delivering a transaction management platform. 
With, with something like Hikey or other toolkits like it, how do you structure a product team around that to make sure that you're delivering the functionality that you need, but also doing it in a way that means you're going to be able to deliver and tackle core use cases and solutions? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and the short answer is with great difficulty. Um, the slightly longer answer is, uh, I mean, it, the Hikey product team has evolved a lot, actually, in the, in the relatively near term. I mean, um, up until probably, up until about 2015, 2016, it, the product team was only about three three people in Haiku. I mean, literally, it was like me and one or two others. Um, uh, we began to expand quite rapidly in, you know, in about 2016, 17, 18, um, up to the point where we, we now have actually only, still only eight product managers, which is not very many, it's actually, considering we, ha we have over 200 developers. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, you know, that, that ratio is somewhat out. Um, but the, the secret, I think, is it's kind of, I touched on it earlier on, it's, it's, you're building capabilities, but you're building them in a way that you, so you, you, you speak to customers a lot, that's critical, right? So we've always done that. We've always been very, um, you know, customer facing in the product team at HiQ. You know, on a personal level, I, I used to be out there selling HiQ as well as building the product. So yeah. that gives you a very unique insight into what you need to build because you're out there and you're talking and you're demoing, you're getting real time feedback. And of course, you go back to base, and you can say to the development team, "Right, we need to do this because that, that you know, that is what customers really want." Uh, and then you, you try and blend that customer feedback with your strategic objectives, right? You know, we're trying to move into one area or another. And then what we've evolved to do over the last three or four years is, is kind of collect together several of our capabilities into kind of like a group of capabilities that are related and are all kind of crucial for delivering on certain use cases. So for example, uh, you would group together task management, workflow automation, and you know event management, for example, because those are the core kind of modules that you need to, to drive project management and, and mm -hmm. process automation, yeah. you know, what I call projects and process. So those, cap those three capabilities are grouped together under a single project manager, product manager. Um, and you know that is how, and then that person is able to think about the primary use cases of that collection of features. Of course, workflow is also used in transaction management and you know, many other things, so they have to think you know laterally as well. And so it's trying to take those those capabilities that make up um, the functionality of the platform, group them together into logical ways, and put them on, put them under a person who can think about them a bit more holistically and strategically. And, and, and in a combined way to deliver those end solutions. So you have got to have both a, a use case and solutions hat on and a kind of technical functional capability hat on. Mm. Um, and many of the capabilities of HiQ, you know, for example, iSheets or Workflow are very generic. You, you know, you can apply them to almost every use case. Yeah. You, know, you know, so it's quite tricky, but that's the way we've done it. And, and over the years, we've just found that certain things fit together quite well and, you know, certain people fit that collection of things well. And, and it's been a pretty organic process, I would say. I don't think there's a, a single kind of methodology I could point to as to what something we adopted or created that, that works. It's an organic process of finding the right people um, to manage the right capabilities and staying close to customers. Um, and as I said, now we're building a layer on top of that, which is about then building out these solutions templates and, and almost mm. like productizing those into, you know, into slightly more um, off the shelf, if you like, offerings. So it's a combination of all of those yeah. things. Yeah, but one thing that I know is quite hard when you're building that platform out is the, the integrations piece. 
you know, I get you get approached by a lot of other vendors saying, hey, we want to integrate. Um, a lot of clients will say, it'd be fantastic if you just integrated with this tool that we use. How do you go about balancing that? How do you go about identifying what is the high value integrations we build in versus just people's kind of wish list of it, it would be great, but it wouldn't yeah. actually be higher value? I mean, I think, you know, in a way it's, it's, the challenging thing with with the high key platform, of course, is is it's so broad. I mean, it is effectively like five, six, seven, eight products in in one. Totally, um, yeah. You know, and that you know, that that means you get pulled in lots of directions. So it is a challenge. Um, but you know, I think it's like any any other product. You know, you you just have to prioritize based on you know on several things. You know, if one single person asks you for it, then it's probably not top of your list, right? But if ten customers start asking the same thing, then sure, it's gonna it's gonna push its way up the list. So you always look at that. Um, I think we're always looking to solve the little issues as well. So it's quite often the case that you, you know, I don't know, you use HiQ for, you know, a, a transaction management use case. Um, and there's, there's one little tiny feature which seems insignificant, but it, it has a kind of a big impact on the outcome of that use case. And so you're always kind of looking for those. How do you solve those little frustrating problems and the little blockers that prevent you from adopting it mm. um, to solve problems. So we're trying to prioritize those. And then you have to look at balance all of that customer feedback with your, your own strategic objectives. You know, a, a lot of the, I would say, a lot of the advances in the Hockey platform that we've made over the years haven't been as a result of a customer or group of customers kind of, you know, screaming for a particular feature or, you know, but, but it, they've just seen like, obvious extensions of what we do um, to enable the platform to become more powerful. You know, like take the, take the workflow engine, for example. Yeah, yeah. You know, there were customers who kind of had maybe mentioned or it would be nice to be able to automate something, but I don't think anyone really envisaged, uh, you know, a, a work a workflow automation platform in the way that we've built it and, and what we've done with it. So I think you've got to use your own vision and your own, um, you know, a uh, strategic kind of view of where the market's going and what would be most well, valuable and, and make that determination. I think that's right. It was interesting looking back at when we built, you know, that workflow engine. Um, it was almost by looking at what people were trying to bend iSheets to do that, yeah. that made us realize what they actually needed. So their view, yeah, I can remember clients would say, you need to do this in iSheets, you need to build this into iSheets and add this functionality and workflow into iSheets. And we said, actually you, you probably don't need it in ice sheets what, what you're talking about is a workflow engine um so yeah. you're right it's almost it's not if you just followed you know clients wish list of features and functions you'd probably have some kind of weird frankenstein's monster kind of you know, platform it's about stepping back and thinking what is the actual ask here what's the challenge what are they trying to do and, and what's the outcome you know what's the outcome that, yeah. that they're really looking forward uh, you know, and that's really what you need to focus on, I think, when you speak to customers, is what are the outcome they're looking for? Then as a product manager, it's your job to decide the best way to deliver that outcome, mm. which could be in a completely off-the-wall way that, you know, a client would have never thought of, but makes most sense for you. I mean, the reason we wanted to build, say, Workflow as a separate module and not kind of integrate it into iSheets is so that it's exactly so that it could be leveraged by the other modules and even as a standalone module by other products, potentially, right? Yeah. So that, that was something that, probably made sense to us, but maybe a client wouldn't have directly asked for that yeah. because this, you know, not in their interests. So yeah, I think, you know, the, the art of a product manager is blending intuition with strategic thinking and, you know, direct customer insight and bringing all of that together to make a, a you, you, are, you have to just make a decision. I don't mm. think there is a scientific formula 
that you can use to prioritize those features. And that's probably the difference between a good product manager and a bad product manager, that that inexplicable, um, indecipherable uh, al you know, algorithm in their head that makes those decisions. Yeah. Okay, so final question then. Um, you know, we talked about integrations. I guess another approach you know, to bring functionality together within a platform is is that consolidation piece. You look at you know, the, the TR deal and, and Haiku now sitting alongside Contract Express to very highly used platforms, you know, and, and tools across the legal uh, space. There's lots of consolidation going on in the market. Latera doing the same. I saw yesterday you've got um, the Dockyard, I think, and Ansarada, you know, merging for a kind of a transaction management play. What's your What's your view? What does the next two or three years look like? You know, in this space, is is this the space race towards a kind of a legal operating system, a legal platform? Yeah, it's kind of like the battle of the platforms, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, we've seen a, quite a bit of consolidation, uh, as you rightly pointed out. You know, um, Haiku's been part of that with the acquisition by Thomson Reuters. You know, HG Capital have been very acquisitive um, through Litera and, and so on. So, yes, in, I think inevitably there was like a, you know, starting a few years back, there was like a Cambrian explosion of, of legal tech startups. And of course, they, they, they couldn't possibly have all gained market traction and, and adoption. And so lots of interesting ideas, and they were often very specific, solving very specific problems, you know, like a very particular part of a particular process yeah. for a particular practice area, right? And so, of course, I don't think it was realistic that they would ever, you know, live on as independent companies. And, and frankly, probably the only reason Haikyuu lived on as an independent company for so long as it did was because we we rapidly you know, developed the platform to do more than just one thing, right? And it comes back to that not being a point solution. We, we, we became a platform in our own right. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, I see there being consolidation, you know, amongst, you know, several big legal tech platforms. Um, hopefully they'll continue to thrive and evolve and there'll be enough, enough of them which are competitive enough with each other to have that, that continuous drive forward um, you know you do need that competitive dynamic I believe to, to bring out the best in companies and in people and so you know uh, hopefully it won't just become like a giant monopoly somewhere but you know I do think the consolidation is going to continue um, it will be interesting to see you know exactly what companies get snapped up next yeah. um, and how far that goes and how, how far consolidation goes uh, you know I don't think it should go too far because I think it, it does become almost like two eggs in one basket. But um, certainly I, I believe in this kind of idea of a legal operating system. And mm -hmm. funnily enough, I was, I was just talking about that mm -hmm. yesterday internally. And yeah. I can see that as a future path whereby, you know, you do, you do, I want, I wanted that for, for IQ is, you know, not to be, uh, you know, literally all of their back end, you know, systems of record and everything but what i did want haiku to be this place you could go to get your your work done and would kind of be one of the first things you opened up in the morning to see all of your matters and what had been happening across them and blah 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 and then you start connecting that up with a couple of other two, two or three other key bits of your work platform and i think that is your legal operating system yeah but we need enough choice in the market um you know that the customers um can have different variations of that. Mm. Um, and so I think that's important that, that we retain some some competitive edge, you know, and that there are several different ways to, to get to that conclusion of, of having an efficient modern, you know, technology stack to, to run your, your law firm. And I'm sure that will be the case. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think having those having those small startups and, and, and kind of scale up businesses is so important. You know, that that's the kind of 
hotbed of of innovation and you know they, they've got that kind of client relationships close client relationships they mean they've got that kind of finger on the pulse and they're developing some you know fantastic solutions so there's always got to be that balance between you know that consolidation play and and, and portfolios of products versus those kind yeah. of plucky upstarts i think that's important uh, you know i think we could we could probably go on talking about some of these topics for age i, I had a whole separate questioning about um you know, COVID nineteen and the the whole you know, move to remote working and what's that meant? What that meant for the platform? And you just mentioned Teams. I, I'm 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 pretty sure you're going to be looking at that and how you how you yeah. tie all this together. Um, but no, I think Stu, that's been absolutely fascinating. You know, really appreciate you uh, coming on the very first episode of uh, Legal Artech, uh, Legal Tech Arcade. Uh, I hope everyone's found the conversation interesting, and and I'd love to have you on again in the future, Stu, if uh, if you're willing to come on. Absolutely, and uh, you know, it's been, been my pleasure and an honour to be your, your first uh, your first guest, Rob. So, uh, yeah, no, thank you very much. And as I said, I hope uh, everyone's found it enjoyable and us wittering on like we would, like we used to do uh, when we were colleagues hasn't hasn't bored everyone to death. But hopefully, it's been somewhat right. insightful. I'll, I'll check that on the uh, the, anal- the uh, analysis and the stats. Is I'll probably see drop off after about ten minutes. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah hopefully exactly. not. But yeah, cheers to you and uh, yeah, uh, look forward to catching up st- soon. And uh, for everyone else, uh, the uh, next episode of Legal Tech Arcade Podcast will be out very soon. That's it for this week's episode of the Legal Tech Arcade Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then please go ahead and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.